Hello, welcome back to Cornerstone Shepherd the Sheep. Uh, Gino Glermo and Jason Vaughn in studio with Chris Brackett, missionary in Croatia. And we are here today to talk about his work in Croatia and the future. Good day. It's good to have you in studio today, Chris. Thanks for joining us. I know you're uh, over there on the East Coast right now, so uh, welcome. Yeah, it's great to be with you guys. Thank you for uh, for setting this up, and it's a great opportunity to get to know, uh, share a little bit about what God's been doing in Croatia and what we've learned throughout the years we've been there. So. Yeah, you're probably our most seasoned um, missionary, by the way. Wow. Yes, I think probably uh, by 10 years. Wow. I still think of myself as a rookie making rookie mistakes. So Right. Hmm. How long has it been in Croatia for you? Uh, we went, so we've been there uh, almost 25 years, 24 years this year. 24 years. Wow. wow. Man. Yeah. I don't think, uh, I'm trying to think who of our missionaries, uh, we have two that are living have just left. So they're not even, they've been out a year in. Wow. Yeah. You, you've got everybody by, I think, 15 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah they, so. they, they can, you, you can help consult if, uh, if they, yeah. we'll give you their, give them your number. <laughs> yeah. Uh, feel free. We love to, to work with younger missionaries and, and uh, have had op- that opportunity in Croatia, even as people have come to the field and just looked at them and thought, um, you know, we went through a lot of this stuff. A lot of it we've suppressed and don't remember maybe too freshly, but we know those struggles are real and we just try to do, Nina and I try to do what we can to, to ensure as much as possible a long-term ministry for uh, these guys who are making a, a pretty huge uh, sacrifice and a really significant transition to uh, another culture, another language, and uh, oftentimes they're bringing their kids along with them and, and that has its own special challenges. So. Right. Well, you are, um, so you went to Croatia and, uh, maybe, maybe just tell us a little bit about what your mission was and how that's adapted a little bit over time. Sure. So, uh, we went out, uh, 24 years ago, uh, just Nina and I, so that is something that, uh, we look back and, and we're very thankful for because our kids grew up on the mission field and, and that's what they knew and they loved being on the mission field. We went out with uh, two other families uh, from Grace Community Church and Master Seminary, all recent graduates, to work with a national pastor, Mishko Horvatek, um, and um, he was a graduate of Master Seminary as well, a few years ahead of us. It was about three years after the war for independence had uh, kind of ended there in former Yugoslavia, so Croatia was a new country. Uh, they had just competed right before we got there in their first ever World Cup and got uh, third place. And then uh, 
uh, last World Cup, they got second place. So if we were to able state to stay there another uh, 20 years, maybe they would actually win it all. But um, it was a new country, uh, lots of uh, uh, um, uh, kind of church ministry, uh, humanitarian aid ministry that was going on, but um, and and beginning to wipe wind down a little bit. But our focus was to start training pastors for Croatia and the surrounding countries that came out of former Yugoslavia. Uh, and Pastor Mishko had uh, himself graduated from a training ministry that had been in Vienna, Austria, and uh, had been relocated really in 1998. Uh, and we started classes in 2000 to Croatia, uh, having uh, the opportunity to do that after communism had kind of fallen. But prior to that, uh, men had to be trained outside of the country. Um, and so we were there to kind of revitalize and take that ministry uh, uh, on and bring it locally. And so uh, the four of us were working together with uh, a few other missionaries that were already on the field. And then uh, some of those guys have retired and moved on. And uh, other guys have joined us, and some of our own graduates have joined us in the in the meantime. So our primary focus was to plant churches, uh, train church planters, train pastors, strengthen local churches through uh, training ministry, and um, and just try to uh, build up men for the for the pastoral ministry. Oh, that's that's encouraging. That's great. So twenty four years ago, you said. Vienna. I, I didn't realize that the, the the training center moved from Vienna. Was that is that a master's one or TMI or? Uh, no, it was actually a Greater Europe uh, missions school. Um, so they were there. They started in eighty one, and actually already had about thirty thirty something thirty five forty uh, graduates, including Pastor Mishka, who was the first graduate of that school. Wow. But. From the time he was pastoring a church of uh, Yugoslavians in Vienna, and was just waiting till after he had gone to seminary, really went back with the vision to um, uh, move that training to Croatia. But when, as soon as he got back, the war broke out, and so he spent four years just distributing um, humanitarian aid, working with refugees, and and surviving. Wow, um, yeah, and I'm I'm sure that the the, the war and the uh, aftermath of the war that that you know um, the backdrop of ministry that makes your ministry unique there, doesn't it? Well, it does. We were when we came in again, things were the, the war lasted until '95. We came in '98. Uh, one of the big transitions for us was that. Uh, much of ministry in the years prior to coming was based on humanitarian aid. And so uh, that's a wonderful way to uh, reach out to the community, but it, it kind of complicates gospel issues sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so instead of uh, coming to the church to get your um, bills paid or to get food, uh, we had to help people understand they were coming to church to to know Christ, to grow, and to serve one another. Um, so uh, that was, and of course, you want to meet needs 
and and there were great great needs uh, early on. Croatia has, in one sense, gone from crisis to crisis <laughs> as far as uh, being a developing country and small with limited resources. But in another sense, it's a completely different country than when we got there 24 years ago, hmm. just in resources and things that are available. Um, so, yeah, Chris, uh, I know being there too. Just so people can kind of can hear, can kind of understand the context. Yugoslavia mm-hmm. split off into five countries, uh, right? And if I'm not mistaken, the really the main factor in determining the five countries is is the different kind of religions, right, associated with sure. each country. Exactly. So, so Yugoslavia was a man-made country. Uh, it was not a traditional uh, land. So after World War One, uh, you know, a group of men got together and decided, okay, we'll we'll make this one country, uh, communist country. All right, eventually became communist. It was a it was a uh, kingdom uh, prior, and so it's it's right located at the collision of three world religious empires. You have the uh, the Roman Catholic uh, Empire coming from the west, and then you have the Eastern Orthodox Empire coming from the northeast, and then you have the Muslim Empire coming up into Bosnia. So you have all three of those uh, world empires in one place, and they made a circle around and said, let's make a country out of this and, and bring these people together. And that didn't work. So that's why they say that every generation there has to be a war in that area. Um, and so... Uh, to be Bosnian is to be Muslim. To be Serbian is to be Orthodox. To be Croatian is to be Catholic. Mm. Uh, so uh, they're, in some ways, I would say religion is more of the of their national identity because of that than even in other parts of uh, Europe that we might think as Catholic countries, where it's it's Catholic because it's thoroughly culturally Catholic, but it's not so much your identity, if that makes sense. It's not your national identity. Right. And so that obviously complicates uh, evangelism um, to, to, to leave behind the Catholic context in Croatia. You have the dilemma of being considered a traitor to your country. But of course, you also have that, that uh, uh, social angst uh, that you're <laughs> essentially admitting that everyone in your family, uh, the religious, the non-religious, uh, that they're all lost. And, um, so that's, it's a, it's a enslaving, um, dark, dark, um, religion that we know is based on man's works and man's accomplishment and not on the gospel. Uh, they, they worship a, uh, a false, uh, image of Christ. In fact, uh, here at the end of uh, June is uh, this uh, sad, sad um, holiday called uh, Corpus Christi, which growing up and going to school in Texas, I thought uh, I thought Corpus Christi was just a you know coastal city in in South Texas, but uh, but it's actually a, a a holiday, a Catholic holiday, and you see these young kids all dressed up in their robes and things marching around through town behind this priest that's got this golden um, 
a thing in the shape of the sun with a little little glass bauble in the middle of it that has a piece of the host and and it's like in their minds they're marching around following Christ you know that is their God mm-hmm. and and until you see it it's 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 hard to describe but it is gross uh, idolatry and and you look at it and you think surely you understand that Christ is more than this but uh, as you know Catholicism has a lot of superstition kind of mixed up in it and and local uh, culture whatever the local culture is uh, the Catholic Church will uh, absorb and adopt so yeah that's the interesting part I don't think I don't know that Americans always realize that and I mean I would never claim to fully realize it only having just seen you know one millionth of a fraction of what you've seen to realize that the Catholic church in Croatia is different than the Catholic church here. Um, and right. Even, or the Philippines, you know, neither yes. Filipina, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. You would never get a, a Croatian Catholic to volunteer, <laughs> plead to be hung on a cross or to be, to be whipped, uh, uh, for Easter. Um, and, and plus you have even animism mixed up in, uh, the Catholic Church in different parts of the world, whether it's the Philippines or maybe Africa, it it just adopts and absorbs the culture around. It. Yeah, that's that's very. Yeah, I mean we we understand why they would do that um, to an unbeliever. You know, they're going to have a different take take on that. But you know, basically, that, that's one of the reasons why. You know, it, it's hard for us to stand up and say, "Yeah, the Catholic Church are fellow believers with us," because. You know, that, that kind of evidence, again, is, um, that kind of reasoning, again, is evidence of unbelief and not, not mm-hmm. evidence of listening to the Word of God and the revelation of God and following Jesus Christ. So mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting, right? Because so then from a, from, from a Croatia perspective, that's a little bit of a hurdle. I mean, from a man's perspective, you know, the, the spirit can pierce who the spirit pierces. Absolutely. But you've got to kind of overcome that, like, because— you know, in my mind, trying to think about it from a Croatian perspective, it's almost like your church could be viewed as a cult because it's so small and not Catholic. Sure. And and it is uh, totally viewed as a, a foreign entity, uh, 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 some foreign faith, uh, foreign religion. Uh, we People do refer to us as a sect, uh, which is pretty much a synonym for cult uh, in the Croatian language. So, um, there, you know, there was probably a period of time where families would often get saved and every once in a while you'll see a family kind of all get saved. But in our context, in our county, and we're the only non-Catholic church in a county that has uh, 98 Catholic churches in it. So we're the only other option. And so many of our people, uh, are immediately ostracized, cut off from their family um, when they, if they, you know, when they have professed faith and especially when they got baptized, that's kind of the, the uh, line of demarcation. And, and so uh, Jason, you remember uh, uh, Romina, one of the ladies in our church when she was a teenager, uh, got saved the day she was supposed to come and give her testimony. She was prohibited and restrained by her parents from coming to our church. And, and so we tried to be gracious. I was pretty fired up and, 
and the national pastor is like, no, we need to, we need to be careful. We need to tread wisely here. Um, and by God's grace, uh, after a few years, death of her father, um, uh, she came back with one of her siblings and she eventually professed Christ, got saved, is now teaching Sunday school. And uh, three of her siblings uh, since then have been saved and are regularly attending our church. And so we rejoice uh, in that. Uh, but it, it's, it's rare that we see multiple members of a family um, uh, get saved, especially in the adult years. So, Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that, that's yeah. that's the kind of thing I think, you know, um, that we don't always think about. Because here in America, right, if you get saved, you you might have somebody kind of give you a little bit of a hard time, or mm-hmm. I mean, you know, in general. But but rarely do you hear stories of you know a teenage kid, kid, you know, wanting to profess faith in Christ and having the family like lock them up a, in their room or say no, you can't leave the mm-hmm. house and. It's a different culture. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Yeah, I think part of it is too is like just the way we view identity. Um, in mm-hmm. countries like Croatia, Philippines, like the religion is part of being you know Filipino or Croatian. So in their mind, you they're from what they perceive, you're rejecting their their culture and their people, right? If, if that's the way, at least I understand it. At least from my perspective, you know, being Filipino. Um, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's you're rejecting your your family. Oftentimes you're rejecting your country. It's mm-hmm. unpatriotic. Yeah. Yeah. You're letting down the community. Yeah. Yeah. Now you get a glimmer of that in Hebrews. I really think the context of Hebrews mm-hmm. is that's the exact thing, right? Like, you know, yeah. you get this picture of, Oh, you, you left the Jew. You're leaving the Jewish family. It's almost like, mm-hmm. you know, I always, I love the imagery of you leaving the mafia. You don't leave the mafia, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't leave the mafia without, without ending up out, out, you know, 30 miles outside of town, six feet in or somewhere. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So and why would you want to, right? Look at all the benefits. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, but you know, it's a shame culture too. Uh, probably similar to the Philippines, right? You don't bring shame on the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly in the mafia, the same way you don't mm-hmm. bring shame right. on the family. Um, and, and yet that's what happens. That's a, that's a common, you know, that's interesting you say that because I'm, I'm starting to notice, uh, and I, I don't know, in unbelief, it's interesting. There's, there's still as much as unbelievers talk about um, we need to be inclusive, you know, and that's one of the knocks on the church. I was reading an article by, I can't remember who wrote the article now, but he had an excellent point that really there is not a single community in the world that is actually all-inclusive they all have some level of rule. So mm-hmm. everyone is actually exclusive at some point. And he gave mm-hmm. an example of, you know, and he, and he even said, and the people that advocate for in- inclusivity don't realize it, but they actually are on board with exclusivity. He was like, what do you do in an LGBTQ community when a, when a board member gets saved you know, he said nobody ever then gets mad at that community for removing the saved member off the board because they'll all say, well, he's no longer in line with the board. You know, and right. so it's interesting then to flip that around and, and accuse Christianity of being, you know, um, which is interesting, right? Because we're the only community that says, hey, you can actually be a part of this community and God wants you to be. Place your faith in him, turn from your sins and follow him. And, and you're a part of a, 
a loving, generous community where there's forgiveness and eternal life. And so it was a really good argument. I'll have to figure out who said that later. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So there in Croatia, um, you know, I think that that's, those are probably because you, you kind of, you, you wear dual roles there on the one hand, you're help with the training Institute. So you're helping to equip guys, uh, for pastoral ministry, uh, I know mm-hmm. you guys have offered other classes, even just to lay people who who maybe want to grow in counseling or other areas too. So you've you've really done a, uh, even an equipping of uh, believers in the country. Sure, and uh, yeah, that's a, a key point, and something that I think churches in the states need to understand about missions is there is just even in a in a if you're in a town and you feel like you're alone or the only expository uh, preaching ministry, uh, there's not a lot of like-minded other churches, there are still amazing resources uh, available and, and amazing uh, resources in your language that are available to you, uh, whether it's online resources, especially now, classes, uh, training, uh, but you get into other countries uh, with, uh, there's just very few uh, resources. Uh, we've probably produced, translated 30 books now. And besides those 30 books, there's probably not uh, 20 books, certainly not 20 books in Croatian language that I would recommend to our believers to read um, uh, for their own you know, spiritual benefit and, and growth. So, um, y- y- you know, you can't download uh, hundreds of sermons or, or listen to all kinds of lectures. And oftentimes, you you really don't have anything between um, hearing the gospel preached week in and week out because uh, many of these uh, countries and mission fields are so focused on evangelism and going to theological school. There's just this wide gap of unfulfilled, unavailable uh, local church training, uh, whether it's simple discipleship, whether it's uh, getting uh, a class on uh, the overview of the flow of the Bible, uh, theology class that helps you kind of, you know, categorize and, and pull things together and, and systematize things in your mind. None of that exists. And so uh, we try to uh, help churches uh, through training seminars. Uh, we, we did create a curriculum to train pastors to, um, uh, you know, lead and, and pastor and feed flocks. But also we're trying to, one of the things we'd like to do is, is make available um, more and more um, just a kind of basic classes, a basic, a 10 hour overview of the new Testament and a 10 hour overview of the old Testament, because people just don't understand and, and haven't read through even the scriptures with understanding. There are a lot of people who read the Bible in the churches, but it's kind of like the, you know, you take two Psalms and, and every morning like vitamins, but they don't see the big pictures and guys that are hungry, guys that are enthusiastic and are learning I hear all the time, well, I listen to uh, Sproul, I listen to MacArthur, I listen to Paul Washer, but they're experts on the gospel, but they don't see the big picture. Mm -hmm. 
they've been very selective in what they've heard in their biblical content. Um, and, and so it, it makes them, you know, uh, maybe, uh, unidimensional in their understanding, uh, a little bit undeveloped as far as their, uh, recognition that, uh, people grow differently. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all about the gospel and understanding the gospel and preaching the reformed, uh, uh soteriology. And that's all they know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, very, they have yeah. undeveloped views of the church. So one of the things that we do have an advantage, creations know English. Uh, it's very common. All their media is in English. Uh, and so we're trying to just uh, introduce creations to uh, some of the online resources that will help round them out and give them a, a fuller picture. That's a, that's a very interesting observation. Uh, we're, we're seeing the same thing. Right? It's pretty much the same everywhere where there's a lack of what you're really talking about is a lack of wisdom and a lack of uh, discernment and um, really maturity, uh, mm-hmm. not being able to put the big picture together, put the puzzle. I, the gospel uh, is as deep as it is um, as simple, right? It's like oh, mm-hmm. an elephant can swim in it and uh, a child can wade in it. Um, mm-hmm. but there, there are so much, there is a lot more to the gospel than just a, you know, Christ died on the cross. And I was like, what is, how does it inform your life? And how does it, you know, so that's interesting that you observe that too. I did, I, I do uh, want to ask you, you said, um, pastors come and you guys do training. Uh, are they coming mostly from out of creation since that, since there's not much of an evangelical presence there, or is it, are these local guys in, in the country? No, we're, tr- uh, we've trained, uh, probably 40 or so, uh, different, uh, guys, uh, about 30 have gone through our 25 to 30 have gone through our, um, three-year training program, three or four-year training program. So, uh, just to give you some statistics, there's about 45 churches in the Baptist union, and that's primarily who we work with. Um, 30% of those churches don't have pastors. Mm-hmm. Of the remaining uh, churches that do have pastors, about half of them are pastored by men we have trained. So we we have a, a pretty uh, uh, significant influence in the country, uh, and we see that as we go to Baptist meetings and things are discussed theologically. Our guys are are more articulate; they're more outspoken, and uh, certainly uh, better trained than uh, many of the men who might be arguing uh, different positions of compromise, ecumenism, women's role, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just Croatia. In addition to that, we've trained two men who are, one's a church planner, one's a pastor in Slovenia. We have two church planners in Serbia. We have a, a missionary working with an, agent, an organization in Bosnia uh, that's among our graduates. And even our faculty, uh, all of our faculty are involved in church ministry. That's kind of a, a unique feature uh, for our training institute. We don't have anybody who's exclusively um, uh, devoted to theological education. And I think our faculty and, and graduates together are involved in maybe seven different church plants at this mm. point uh, in in the former Yugoslavia. So. So when you say a Baptist union and you're talking about some of these churches not having pastors, are these buildings with people that meet or uh, what is it? What's the situation exactly? They're, they're churches without pastors. So they, they may have a guest come from another uh, 
close by church. They may just be turning on someone's uh, live stream or, mm-hmm. or record live stream YouTube uh, uh, from another church. But yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of churches without pastors, and then not to mention the number of towns and, and villages and and cities, parts of cities that don't have uh, clear gospel witness that that need churches planted. Wow. So we're okay. at a, a great dearth of uh, leadership, but that's true everywhere. Yeah. And and one of the challenges, uh, again, in missions, uh, it, it, it can be a reality here in in the States, but many of these men are serving by themselves without any support and without any other elders. And it, some men uh, maybe are in that tradition and that's what they think. Uh, you know, they're, they want to be the, uh, uh, the jefe, the, the, the only guy, the main guy. Mm-hmm. But some of these guys are by themselves because they just do not have other qualified men that they can install as elders. And you gentlemen know uh, how, um, what a challenge that is for the church to not have a plurality of qualified godly men leading and how uh, compromising that is for the leader who's alone as well yeah. uh, to face discouragement alone, to face temptation alone, to lack accountability on a daily basis. And we see situations all the time of men who um, don't, uh, don't prosper in that kind of mm-hmm. situation, and and that's not the way God designed the church. So, wow, so that's, that's that's interesting because I feel like in the states there's too many pastors <laughs> that should be pastoring, sure. you know? Um, right. Sure. Uh, yeah, but it seems like you just have people that want a pastor but um, don't know what that means or looks like, and yeah. not enough trained um, people that that can do the work of the ministry there. So. Sure. And my constant prayer for our graduates is that God would raise up a, a group of men around them that will share the burden of ministry right. and um, and encourage them along the way. Yeah. I think that's a common European, seems like a common European culture where it's like, when you say no support, you're talking about congregations not really paying the pastor, right? Well, that, but also that there's no other like-minded, mature men um, supporting them uh, in ministry, you know, sh- shoulder to shoulder with them in ministry. They're, gotcha. they're doing all the preaching. They are the, yeah. Mm, they're the professional. All the, yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Hmm. yeah, that's, uh, cause you, one of the other hats you, you wear, Chris, right. Is not just with the training Institute, but, but as an elder mm-hmm. there at the local church. And if I'm not mistaken, sure. the, the local church has, taken on an equipping role um, down in um, Zagreb, right, with a, with another that a church that started from a rehab ministry, if I get that correctly? No. Uh, so uh, essentially, yeah, one of the distinctives of the training ministry that we're involved in, the Master's Academy International, is that you have to do your training in a local church. You're not a off-campus kind of uh, independent uh, ministry. You want a ministry to be taking place and training to be taking place in a local church where it can be seen being put into action. So I serve alongside a national pastor who also graduated from Master Seminary, um, and we've been there at that church. Uh, our other colleagues from Masters have gone to uh, uh, other churches to just kind of expand out, and one's planning a church, another is uh, serving and, and developing the uh, education, uh, church-based education in that church, as well as teaching 
with us. But we had the opportunity to go to a um, uh, uh, into a rehab center. Um, and at the time, when they invited me in to teach uh, how to study the Bible methodology, I didn't realize how closed a community this was and how unique a situation uh, this was for this community. Uh, but it's essentially, it is a Christian uh, rehab center. They have, uh, you know, meetings throughout the week, uh, discipleship. But then they have uh, a church service on Sundays um, that is available for family members of the uh, uh, people in the rehab ministry to come to if they're local. But most of them are not local. Uh, like many rehab ministries, they kind of take you out of your local context and put you in a different place to cut you off from your old life and resources. And so um, that rehab ministry has grown a lot and has developed a lot in their uh, theology and it's really exciting to see um but uh, uh over the years that i've uh, taught there i after i taught the all the leaders which is about 20 of them how to study the bible um i dealt with i spent another class with the small uh group of leaders the preachers uh, four guys and taught them how to, you know, put together the sermons and, and essentially do expository preaching. Um, but you know, it's a, it, it is a rehab ministry. So it, and it's, it's global. So they have their own responsibilities with, uh, um, what's going on in their organization. And I continue to, to maintain a relationship with several of the guys, a disciple, one of them who has gone on to another city to start that rehab again, but he's also alongside that doing a Bible study. So it's just kind of a unique opportunity that at the time I didn't appreciate as how unique it was. Um, but we just tried to navigate carefully because they have, as a community, their own rules and, and challenges and uniqueness. Um, one thing that I will say uh, as we went into that uh, opportunity and looked at it and, and explored it, we we have also over the past five years uh, found that there's a number of Pentecostals in the country who in some ways have more in common with us than some of our Baptist brethren who are more liberally oriented. So they would be uh, non-ecumenical. They would be uh, 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 complementarian in their uh, uh, view of uh, men's and women's roles. And they have a high view of scripture and really downplay uh, the role of uh, Gifts. Uh, experience mm -hmm. uh, uh, in, in light of the scriptures and really emphasize the sufficiency of scripture. And some of them aren't even Pentecostals. <laughs> some of the pastors, it seems, aren't even Pentecostals. And so, um, that's been interesting to phenomena uh, mm -hmm. of very theologically uh, uh, defined and, and refined um, uh, men leading Pentecostal churches, but also fun to just sit with these guys. And so I have the opportunity to teach how to study the Bible with some of those guys as well in Zagreb over the past year. And I think we'll continue with another class in the fall. Oh, that's that's encouraging, actually. I mean, I mean, yeah. that, the, the gospel does transcend, right? And despite exactly. our yeah secondary issues, wow. 
Um, are they? Are, is the Pentecostal movement there? Because usually Pentecostal churches grow uh, pretty fast. I from what I, I are they Assembly of God or are they just independent Pentecostals? What are they exactly? Uh, there's a mixture, but most of the the Pentecostal denomination is, frankly, uh, a lot of it's very traditional, and you wouldn't see a big difference between many of those churches and many of the Baptist churches who don't have trained pastors. Uh, they're both going to, you know, they might have an emphasis on uh, uh, experience over exposition for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's almost no emphasis on, you know, charismatic gifts or anything like that. Mm. They're just people who love the Lord and have been, you know, uh, around as a, a body for 20 to 30 years and, uh, hope that someone comes and, and feeds them on Sunday uh, from the word, but not exposed to expository preaching, not exposed to sound um, theology, uh, not having men uh, who are uh, equipped to, uh, to lead them. So you know, it's there, there was definitely explosion of growth uh, 25, 30 years ago. Uh, but a lot of those churches are, are kind of, stagnant and uh are especially without leadership um i've learned uh you don't judge an sbc church because it's an sbc church because the the spectrum is you know is pretty broad i think that's my experience with the pentecostal church even in oklahoma you could have one you could go into three pentecostal churches and one you might think is like a kind of what chris said a traditional baptist church then you go into another and you're like is this just a crazy dance? Do they actually even preach the gospel? And um, yeah. So, uh, but what's interesting is, is I actually found aside from the charismatic gifts, some of the Pentecostals I knew in Oklahoma, you would have thought they were like reformed Baptist or um, you'd have thought they were like-minded mm-hmm. until you, until, until they said, Oh no, we believe in like speaking in tongues and healing. Mm-hmm. But even then, you'd you'd listen to him, and it was like that's not even a main part of their service. They just conceptually believed in it, right? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, and they don't want to rule it out. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Which is an important nuance I, for us to realize too that that somebody might be charismatic only in the sense that they don't want to rule it out, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean that you know it's just that I don't want to rule it out. Not right. Nec- yeah, it that's you know which is different from oh no if you don't have these gifts, then you're not saved. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Very, very important nuance here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and look, when someone says God spoke to me, (laughs) that could mean (laughs) while I was studying the scriptures this morning, that could be, uh, God brought something to remembrance that I've studied in the past, or it could be an audible voice. And, and it just takes some time and, and, uh, untying that knot a little bit. Um, we can't react every time someone, says uh uh god spoke to me this morning that's very uh, true because uh (laughs) we want god to speak to people (laughs) right through those scriptures Uh, we want people to be in tune and to be growing in their in their walk with christ yeah no you're right that's it that's on and honestly even you saying that like um like sometimes i feel like what social media has done is it's created phrase police right so Mm -hmm. certain phrases automatically get assumed with nefarious false mm-hmm. motives but like you just pointed out like you know mm-hmm. if you're sitting on an airplane 
and you hear this like in your head's like share the gospel are you gonna are you gonna get off the plane and be like well that wasn't god yeah Yeah. exactly every community has their own language and so you Mm -hmm. you almost have to learn that language and find out what they mean because if you assume like you, you might burn a heretic, and he wasn't even a heretic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, uh, yeah, even the word heretic is a, a yes. is a language that we yep. we what you mean by that, and what I mean by that are maybe two different things. Yeah, I do remember Pastor John once saying, you know, everyone's a heretic because technically, every not everybody has perfect theology, and it was like, okay, yeah. that's a good point. But then, you know. Mm-hmm. You say that to your friend. Well, we're all heretics, and what he hears is, you know, we all need to be burned at the stake. So, and everyone yeah. has right. a heretical message. They just uh, that was before uh, YouTube, so it's there's no evidence, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I'm just glad those are buried somewhere. Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, so you've because you've got three angles. You've also got the church angle there, or the church mm-hmm. responsibility, which you're an elder at the at your local church uh, involved with right. Ishko. Right. Um, and so, you know, which, which is actually quite common, I think, in a lot of the missionaries that, that we know, um, you kind of wear the hat of training up men, but you also wear the hat of, of, of being involved in local church, which is what we appreciate, by the way. Uh, it, it does mm-hmm. make, sure. I think, uh, there's a uniqueness there. Not every missionary, I didn't realize this still recently, not every missionary necessarily goes out into a field and tries to stay local church centered. Whereas mm-hmm. uh, you and Nina have have gone to great lengths to make sure that you are not isolated from the local church, but instead involved with sure. that. Yeah. Well, and that's I mean that's again part and parcel of our training. We were trained to to love the local church. Uh, the local church is what Christ builds. Um, it's just the reality that as men have gone out, uh, and that was really the the beginning of the Masters Academy International over twenty years ago, that. As men went out from Master Seminary, it was very common that uh, we were asked to uh, provide some training to, to equip men. Either, um, and, and in some countries, and again, this can be a cultural issue, we may be equipping pastors who have a, a, a deficit in their training. Uh, we may be uh, equipping church leaders who um, are. Uh, kind of in a brethren uh, group uh, mentality or brethren kind of structure where there's a group of men leading the church and none of them have uh, adequate training, but they would like to be better preachers, more effective communicators. Uh, They're facing pastoral issues that they need help thinking through. So they need help with counseling. Or in our case, um, we have young men who have a passion to serve the Lord. They have a passion to understand uh, uh, the Bible uh, they have a, a love of Christ. They've never been mentored. The churches, the pastors just haven't uh, had the opportunity or weren't trained to to disciple and to mentor uh, the young men and to, to raise up another generation of, of church leaders and, uh, you know, church planners and, and uh, leaders in other churches. And so our, our lot is primarily to take young men, um, even right out of high school, who uh, have a, a desire to serve the Lord and we pour our lives into them, build them up, give them the equipment uh, necessary, knowing that in three years or four years or six years, uh, they still may not be quite ready to take on pastoral role, but they can begin to serve and teach and grow 
and um, and that someday God will, will place them where He wants them to to be a, for the benefit of the local church and to, to feed the flock. So that's kind of what we've been doing. And I think uh, you mentioned uh, too that part of the the purpose of this podcast is to get to know us a little bit. You mentioned my wife Nina. We've been there. Uh, we went there 25 years ago. Um, just kind of briefly. We have three wonderful daughters, two are back here in the States, and uh, uh, just very thankful for how God's worked in their lives, and that uh, they had the opportunity to grow up on the mission field. So, Yeah, that's um, a blessing. I don't, yeah. And I know Nina's been a big part of, of the local church, too. You know, it's not like she's, yeah. um, which which is interesting, right? Because, yeah. again, um, in our understanding of pastoral ministry, it's the pastor, the man is, the husband is, the pastor and the elder, um, mm-hmm. you know, but in the South, the view is, well, then the wife is kind of this like female queen bee version, <laughs> which, um, you know, again, us TMS guys are like, well, that's not in scripture anywhere. But, but again, mm-hmm. you, you do have a wife that has a heart for women who has poured herself into women who has, you know, um, been a support to you, traversed the ministry with you, helping you. Sure. Both at both as a yeah. both as a spouse and as a as a local involved um, member of the church, and so that that's a wonderful benefit to have. Absolutely, Nina. Nina married me because she wanted to go to the mission field, and she knew she wouldn't be able to go by herself. <laughs> so, well, I was. Um, but yeah, she she uh, loves missions. She wanted to go to former Yugoslavia or former uh, Soviet Union. Um, but as after we got married and looked at the different options that were available to us and the needs that were on the field, we ended up in Croatia. And uh, if it weren't for her, I would have gone, you know, 24 years ago and no one would have ever heard from me. Uh, I would probably, you know, uh, be eating beans and rice because uh, I hadn't written any prayer letters. But she's been a, a huge asset uh, in handling communication uh, and uh, helping me with administration. Uh, but also discipling, uh, first and foremost, our, our three girls, but uh, she's been heavily involved in discipling women, leading women's Bible studies, um, and, and alongside me and, and encouraging and helping um, other missionary couples, younger missionary couples, and, and speaking as the opportunity arose into the lives of some of the uh, students, uh, wives and um, graduates wives as well as they take on the ministry responsibilities and challenges. So very thankful for her and um, yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't have survived the song without her at all. Right. I think that's most of us. Yep. (laughs) So, and then, uh, so after 24 years, uh, now (laughs) you guys are looking to um, transition, kind of transition into a, uh, you're still going to be in ministry. It's, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to call it a larger role or a different role or, uh, Oh yeah, just a different role. Uh, yeah. So, uh, there's, uh, different guys that go to the mission field with different goals and purposes. Uh, uh, some guys, and I'll admit, I kind of looked down on my nose and thought I was a little, uh, better than the guys who went out to get some experience in ministry and teaching on the mission field. And after five years or eight years, they intended to come back and, in God's providence, they always ended up staying 10, 12, sometimes 20 years. Um, but they never intended to, to stay on the mission field. We were different. We went without any other plans. Uh, uh, and Croatia is not a country where you can 
map out a very clear step-by-step uh, exit plan. And uh, so uh, had been happy and thrilled in that role and never really thinking otherwise. But as um, our kids have gotten older and our parents have gotten older, you know, you, you go out not thinking about dropping your kids off to college or uh, helping your parents with uh, health issues. But um, those are things we've dealt with. I've actually, uh, both my parents have passed away as while we've been on the mission field. And so we've had to come back to help them at different times in their uh, lives. Uh, but as we look at Nina's parents' needs, uh, she doesn't have anybody really to uh, uh, help her. And Nina's uh, mom came here from the Philippines and never got a driver's license still to this day. doesn't have a driver's license. Her uh, uh, stepdad um, is, uh, uh, had some health issues. He's doing well, but, but uh, they're at a point in their lives where their, uh, their health is, is slowly, you know, uh, becoming an issue. And so that's one of the things on our hearts. We want to, as much as we can, anticipate that. Uh, another issue is that as our, our two older daughters um, came back here, our youngest, we realized, boy, she's really, um, um, it's, it's tough. It's, it's, uh, she's isolated. Uh, she's homeschooled. We're in a very small church with only one other teenager. And we're thankful that uh, with a very childlike faith, she has dealt with the challenge of being alone and uh, and lonely. But um, I, I have a heart now over the past two years that uh, of the missions enterprise, uh, the one of the people who uh, faces the biggest challenge and the biggest loss is the youngest uh, missionary child in the family. And so we're, planning on, in a year's time, making a transition back here to uh, the States, and she would be able to finish her first year, or her final year of, college, of high school as here in the States. She does have dear, dear, dear friends here, and we're thankful for that, and for technology that allows her to stay to some degree in contact with them. But a, a third reason that we really feel the need to make the transition is because of the field, the need on the field. And there's a sense in which we've been on the mission field for so long that we're fixtures there and no one will take on the responsibility that, that we have at this point as long as we're there. And so there, there is a cultural aspect to that. I think in some countries where, um, you, um, you just don't take on uh, responsibility unless there's an absolute uh, need. Uh, they're, they're not thinking strategically as far as developing uh, new leaders. But a missionary's task is to replace himself and to move on. Uh, and so uh, the nationals will never take on the responsibility that I have. I've, I've come, become convinced over the last three or four years <laughs> that they'll never take that responsibility as long as I'm there full time. But it wasn't our desire that we would be able to continue to be involved in the ministry in Croatia if we were to transition from that ministry. And so the elders at Grace Community Church have uh, approved uh, a plan that we would begin to work more with uh, as academic advisors and, uh, you know, helping new missionaries uh, get acclimated in the field, primarily in Europe, but also possibly in some other regions. Uh, so 
uh, I'm already working with PMAI Europe uh, in some capacities, but um, we'll continue to develop that kind of as an academic advisor for the schools that already exist in, career, in Europe and, and a number of schools that want to come online. Uh, TMEI is facing huge growth, uh, uh, could potentially double in size in the next five to 10 years, if not triple in size, wow. um, with a number of training centers that are getting started. And it's challenging because we're all trained to be pastors and preachers. We're not trained to be school administrators, the curriculum developers, uh, evaluators of professors. And, and so we want to instill some best practices and, uh, and help these schools accomplish what, uh, they want to accomplish, but not to the, without being to the detriment of the local church. Uh, sometimes the training ministry can overshadow the local church. And so we're just trying to help develop some of those things. And so that would be, uh, my role, uh, in the coming year and beyond we trust. Would you be based out of Croatia or just somewhere generally in Europe or back home here? No, we'll actually be here in the States. Oh, so okay, we'll gotcha. uh, live here in uh, Georgia close by. Uh, it, uh, we uh, uh, together uh, have a, a house big enough to for us and for Nina's parents. Hmm. So we can be close by and help them with their needs. But uh, Nina will be able to travel with me uh, often. So, uh, and, and one of our concerns too, was that we do want to stay involved in the ministry in Croatia. And so this is a way that we can do that, mm-hmm. uh, to serve other schools, but also continue to be involved in, uh, some administration, the English side of the administration for the TMEI schools can be kind of a challenge for a national to handle. So I'll still handle some of that. Um, but things like scheduling professors, uh, making out class schedules, chapels, uh, day-to-day, uh, day-after-day with the students uh, will be handled by a, a young man who has graduated from our program, has continued on the MDiv program in Europe, and uh, is growing and, and developing. And uh, so we're thankful that God has provided uh, him. Uh, and uh, and we'll uh, be able to serve other schools more effectively. We were pretty convinced that if we stayed in Croatia, but began to work with the schools in Europe, um, it would be just adding more work uh, that I couldn't pull off because I was still uh, a fixture and, and wouldn't be able to offload any any ministry or responsibilities there in Croatia as long as I was there. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's that's helpful. Actually, you know, um, it's interesting because the the philosophy, I guess, might be different because the way you met, the way you said it was that, you know, the the missionary's job is to pass on his rule, or, or I'm sorry, pass on the mm-hmm. ministry, or how did you say that? And you said you, uh, to replace yourself. To so, replace yourself, yeah, a pa- yeah. A pastor in the states is often thinking, how can I expand the ministry? How can I delegate this ministry? So he may be replacing himself in a ministry. And, and training someone up to take over that ministry. So you're expanding ministry. Mm-hmm. But uh, a missionary is really looking there to train someone up and leave. Yeah. <laughs> right? Is that different than, uh, than, than other missionaries uh, or mission programs out there? Like some, some do some think like, oh, I'm going to be there forever, or do most have an exit plan? 
I'm just wondering because I, uh, I don't know what's you know, is there is there a right way I, I you know I, I don't know if there's a right right way or not. yeah so there's a so. that's a good question and that's a quite uh, that's a that's a mythological nut that I don't know that we've cracked uh, uh-huh. and it's something that organizationally I think we're facing more and more one nice thing about the philosophy of ministry and the way things have developed is we have national pastors that are, are nationals that come to master seminary get training and want to go back home so that's essential for them to go back and and to the context where they came from but they want to form a team and maybe get a couple of americans to come along with them mm-hmm. but we sometimes in the missions uh, enterprise lose sight of indigenization mm-hmm. which means that that the ministry the church first and foremost and and any ministry we begin will someday be self-led uh, self-multiplying and self-sustained, self-supported. Mm-hmm. And that third aspect especially is a challenge, partially because the American culture, the American church culture is a very generous culture when you compare it to the rest of the world. Um, and, and so there is a constant flow of resources from the United States church into the world. Um, which is an amazing thing, but oftentimes that spigot never really gets turned off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not uncommon to find uh, pastors of churches who could support their pastors, um, national pastors being receiving support from overseas, uh, from the West. And, and the question is, is that a healthy situation, especially in a day and age where things are getting harder and harder to transfer money, to um, uh, to sustain um, different, you know, uh, ministries. Do, does ministry ever develop if it's always built on the back of uh, financing from the state? Mm-hmm. And so that's something we, we all need to work on, certainly for the church uh, and eventually even for the training centers. Um, yeah. that is is important. You know, it's interesting but, um, that you said that, Chris, because we we sure. brought that up before too. Um, That's right. We're just talking. being aware of, you know, even some of our friends in England and the reality that some of those English pastors, you know, just culturally there, they they just go, oh, it's not our job to pay the pastor, which is right. is really not healthy because it it in in my opinion puts the church actually in sin because it's that's a sinful mm-hmm. approach. Um, and so you're right. Like there is this, like, you know, that, that's a, I mean, I don't know how you mitigate against it. Cause everybody wants to be generous. Everybody wants to help. Sure. Uh, and on the flip side, I guess at some point, right. You, you just pray that people start to realize, oh, there's a responsibility I have to my local church. Not, not only to be here, not only to love other people, but also to provide for the ministry here locally. Uh, right. And maybe right. that just takes time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, look, the scriptures are clear, and we know it real, uh, experientially, right? The blessing of giving, the joy of giving. <laughs> um, but but the scenario in in Croatia, and I uh, assume this is common everywhere else. You have a church planner who can't support himself, uh, and the church certainly can't support him. That he's supporting, he's being supported. He doesn't want to preach on giving because it sounds self serving, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Guests don't want to preach on giving because they want to be invited back. You know, <laughs> they don't want to yep. preach on an unpopular topic. Yep. 
And the missionaries don't preach on giving because the, the immediate response is, well, you live in a different world. You don't know what we're, we're you know, that's, you, you just don't understand. Right. And so the topic of giving is often never touched on uh, and certainly not uh, built into the DNA of the church. Um, and then you might have a culture, a economy that's socialistic in mindset mm-hmm. and someone else is always going to pay. Uh, you might have denominations or that, um, uh, you know, they're distributing, redistributing uh, 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 financing. And in Croatia, you have people coming out of a very oppressive fee-based uh, religion, right? <laughs> we have a lady in our church who says, you can't get in the Catholic church without stooping to get under the price, price list, you know, <laughs> of wow. services. And so then they come out of that oppressive uh, uh, situation and they're, they're, they experience a freedom. It's like, wow, I can come to this church and no one's asking me to pay for anything. Um, and it can be an overcorrection, right? Yeah. Um, where you realize, yeah, it's all grace, but, uh, but it's, it's valuable grace. It's grace worth investing and you want other people to experience this grace. Right. And um, with sacrifice comes joy. Um, so, yeah, that's and, and again, economic realities. Right. <laughs> it's hard. Is, is uh, Croatia a poor country or what's the situation? What is it like there? I, I think I'm asking because I'm, I'm trying to just notate in my mind, you know, just sure. number one, socialistic, probably higher taxes. Yeah. You know, I don't know yeah. if, uh, you yeah. know, people's mentality is different because they think, they might they may think the government provides for certain things exactly. I, I, I don't know if the catholics are subsidized or anything um yeah well the catholic priests are paid you know uh by the by the national catholic church and by services so they have two incomes essentially wow um but um but yeah so Christ is a developing country uh, average church size is going to be 40 uh and that's so that's 40 that's maybe six families so it'd be tough to uh su- support a pastor um and oftentimes those are you know uh, the average we know churches where <laughs> the average age is 65 yeah. so you have a bunch of uh people living on below sustenance level because they're living on social security that is not adequate for them and they have no no uh, retirement plan, independent retirement plan, or private retirement plan. So, yeah. th- there are economic realities that contribute to it that make it very difficult, for sure. But you got to address the the topic and preach the whole counsel of God. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. Those are issues that that uh, we're all we all face. But I mean, you can imagine the scenario uh, a guy comes from spain or, or croatia or uh, china japan uh, south america somewhere honduras goes to grace community church uh, for lives there for three four years attends master seminary gets his degree gets involved in ministry establishes relationships well of course there's people who want to support him um but then uh, there, there are 
legal issues and how you get that money to the person um, that are challenges now because of uh, terrorism and, and, and things. Uh, so the transfer of money to, to individuals overseas is, is a growing challenge. But then there's questions about is that the best thing uh, for that church? If that church never takes responsibility for it or doesn't have to initially take responsibility for their pastor, will they ever take responsibility for their pastor? So wow. that's tough. Yeah. 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 You almost have to think outside the box in that situation. I mean, oh, you're, yeah. 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 Well, that's, yeah. I know a lot of church plants in America have that issue too. Well, our problem is we don't have, it's like impossible to get a building these days. You know, that's Mm -hmm. our challenge. Everything is just, you know, quadruple the cost. But there are churches in the South, you know, uh, that the church plant means building first, pastor second. Right. And it means pastor Mm -hmm. gets a part-time job until the church can pay for both. So they, they they put that in a different order than we did. That's true. And we, Mm -hmm. we kind of said, no, like biblically, the only thing the Bible talks about is paying your pastor. It doesn't talk about paying for the building, um, you know. But the building obviously serves the church too. So it's you mm-hmm. know you you want to be at a point where, you know, unless you want to go weird to be a house church. Mm-hmm. Church. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's all kinds of benefits to having a building, right? I mean, we're yes. just, my daughter's in a church right now that doesn't have a building, and so uh, you know, it's venues, wedding venues are expensive. Yep. And uh, churches that um, have clear commitment to sound doctrine don't want to have non-members get married in their church because it's too risky, you know. Right. <laughs> and so finding a church where you can get married is kind of a challenge. Um, yeah, that's yeah, it's interesting. 21st century challenges. challenges. I know. It's, it's <laughs> sure. going to get crazy. Yeah. yeah. First world, yep. for sure, yep. compared to the States. But again— so uh, that issue of indigenization is is really a tricky thing, mm-hmm. and and so there's a sense in which we we all want to support a, 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 a quality man, a godly man, right? Uh, you want to have that relationship, but then you're kind of um, uh, maybe maybe it's wiser to support projects rather than ongoing support when it comes to, to nationals, um, if, if that makes sense, because uh, the the church needs to take responsibility for that pastor. Hmm. Wow. Um, so, so yeah, helping with the building, uh, if you guys could get a grant to help you get a building, then, then that'd be a one-time cost. And then, but you need to make, build a building that you can sustain. <laughs> uh, right. Missionaries make the mistake of, going in with their PowerPoint slides and, uh, you know, their computer and all their technology and uh, streaming in all these lectures and all this stuff. And then they leave and, and the guys go back to using their, you know, chalkboard and their, uh, you know, whatever. They, you you do ministry in a way that's not sustainable. That's so true. I didn't, yeah. didn't even think about that. Yeah. 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 That's, wow, okay. Yeah, these are these are the really the issues. You know, it's interesting because you've been in this long enough to see some of these issues. You know, basically the terrorism, the international terrorism has changed the way you support people. But even in the New Testament, 
almost wonder, you know, because we don't get a clear picture. We know Paul takes money from and from one church to another to help support. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't. What what we don't necessarily know outside of First Timothy, which is a command that the elder is worthy of double honor, that there's mm-hmm. some kind of, you know, that money is, you know, it is your responsibility to to pay your mm-hmm. pastors. You know what I mean? And so you've got to right. handle that. Right. And if you don't handle that, um, it, it is a sin issue, but on the flip side, um, yeah, what we don't, what we don't necessarily know is what you just said, you know, is it maybe better to help churches with kind of a project based and not, not commit mm-hmm. yourself long, long term to that. Uh, I can see the value and the wisdom of both. So sure. yeah, sure. probably, probably a, for now a wisdom issue, case by case issue. Sure. sure. Yeah. Yep. That's what I mean. That's what right. I mean. The by thing, like, the thing through Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's good. The thinking out of the box, you know, you you might just need a same same philosophy, but how can we do it so that it's sustainable and and that might look different? Yeah. Yes. And you do the same thing as elders dealing with benevolence, right? Yes. Yes. Is this is this the best thing to help this family in this way at this time? Um, And how are we making a long term commitment to them? Are we making a short term commitment to them? So. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Exactly. Uh, that's, it's all stewardship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what I know Gina and I've been talking about this for a while that, um, you know, and we, we talk about this with our church a lot because, um, one, one of the things we've observed, you know, sometimes, uh, one, I love being in a biblical centered church, uh, gospel centered, but we've, we've noticed sometimes there's a, there's a propensity for people to make rules that everybody in the church kind of right. has to follow. And mm-hmm. so they make the mistake of holiness only looks like this and they mm-hmm. don't realize, and that this is what you're kind of keying in here. And, and this is good that, that there are some wisdom issues, right. And, mm-hmm. and that it's actually probably why sometimes for a family, you know, to public school, not homeschool. Um, mm-hmm. And again, right. Mm-hmm. The, the, the factors involved with that are, you know, there's so many variables um, and so that's where you've got to know the biblical principles and be able to navigate the issues and then come to conclusions rather than just, you know, kind of making carte blanche rules, you know, exactly. in general, we've, even for us, we've in general, we came out and we told everybody, Hey, we would not want to support, um, any missionary who's not going to go to a local church. Um, and that, that works great until all of a sudden, a guy comes to you who you really like, and he's going to an indigenous tribe without a local church to try to plant a local church. Well, how do you then maintain mm-hmm. that rule? And so if it's a rule, right, then we say mm-hmm. no to this guy. But if we say, Hey, from what we can tell, this guy has a plan. The team has a plan. They've got in everything order. They understand the danger of, of, you know, they understand what they're doing. You know, they're, they're navigating. So it was, you know, at that point you go, well, okay, Hey, actually we think it's wise to support this guy in this case. And so, you know, it's, sure. it, it's hard, exactly. hard, fast rules sometimes, uh, though, though life can be easier, sometimes shoot you in the foot. Mm-hmm. Whereas wisdom, uh, which I, which I think again, wisdom is the harder route, but usually you produce, I think godlier results. Right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Well, Hey, we'll be praying for you here and, uh, keep supporting you. And so, um, hopefully this podcast has helped people kind of get to know you and, uh, understand the ministry there and, uh, I, l- I love each of our missionary podcasts. We talk about some aspect of missions that uh, hopefully continues to educate 
uh, anybody who listens on, on the different, the different things, right? Cause not only did we talk about specific issues to Croatia, but Chris, you brought up a, a handful of other things that just show that sh- hopefully is showing a listener that, man, there's a lot that is involved with admissions and, uh, there's right. There's complications and there's good things and there's bad things. And it's like anything else, right. That, uh, we just need the Lord to continue to lead us. Um, you know, Chris, mm-hmm. one of the things we pray for regularly is that um, Nina and you would would always remember that the joy of our ministry is that our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Uh, right. And that, that, you know, at the end of the day, may we celebrate and, and rest in Christ. Uh, and, and But then we also pray, Lord, allow, you know, allow these ministries to reach unbelievers. Mm. And that those unbelievers would, would know you as Lord and Savior and, and be around the banquet table with us. I look forward to meeting somebody at a banquet table mm. and the Lord being like, hey, you didn't know this person, but you prayed for this person for, for your entire duration. Even though not by name, you prayed for that country. And now mm. you're both at the banquet table, like celebrate together. You know what I mean? That's going to be a fun conversation. Right. So, yeah. yeah, and that's what we're in this for. Uh, because exactly. people need Jesus Christ. So, Amen. Amen. Yeah. Sure. Thank you, Chris. Hey, thanks. Yeah, we're always here hey, for thank you. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Gino. And Absolutely. please, and uh, we appreciate your support, your prayers. We need them. Uh, but just that uh, Christ would be formed in us and that we would uh, be used of him to Christ be formed in others. That's our, our hope. Amen. Well, let me do the closing music thing, Chris, and then after the closing music, okay. we'll uh, we'll hang up with you. Is that fair? That's great. All right, all right, all right. Closing God music bless. time. <laughs> 